For February 3rd, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 605. Thank me for solving the problem that I caused. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like uh, a team of highly trained pop culture analyzers. We are here for the biggest night of the year, the Super Bowl commercials podcast. Uh, I think it's wonderful that after 365 games, Wilford Brimley has finally won a Super Bowl. Uh, despite the diabetes, despite everything he's been through, it's uh, no, it's uh, uh, more and more. I, we were uh, we were watching over here, and it was kind of like we were leading Chiefs, and like the more the more it went on, the more uh, sort of the narrative. Um, uh, you know, appealed to me that uh, that the coach of the Chiefs would would win a Super Bowl after winning more games in any than you know any uh, other professional football coach and not not winning a Super Bowl. So that that was good. I'm Matt Rather. Uh, I am here with my homies. Uh, here they are, Matt Belinky. What up, Mahomes? Uh, my cause wicked smart. How are you doing? <laughs> Excellent, Peter Fenzel, Mahomes. My hands are covered in garbage. <laughs> My clothes are covered in food. I'm covered in dirty things, and I can't get rid of any of it. Mark Lee, what up, Mahomes? Uh, America's dystopia. I'm sad to report. I got nothing else besides that. And, <laughs> Come on. Uh, and I am, uh, and I am not even an attempt at an advertisement. I am just a list of celebrity names, like uh, like the McDonald's ad. Of course, uh, Mahomes, the quarterback of the Chiefs, the 24 year old who really has nothing to live for anymore. So, you know, good, good, good for you for peaking early, my son. Mahomeboy, Mahomes. No, I'm kidding. Let's dive in. It's really late on the East Coast, and uh, we're very lucky that uh, that these East Coast overthinkers uh, stay up for this year after year. I'm gonna lob the ball in the air over to uh, Pete Fenzel, who is our uh, big, usually thematizer of Super Bowl commercials. He identified the crisis of masculinity. He identified uh, woke as a business strategy. He has identified so many important currents in the popular culture as, uh, as expressed in Super Bowl ads. So Pete, what was the big theme of Super Bowl? <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, Pete, you have something on your shirt. I appreciate that. You're so kind of me. This is the least comfortable podcast episode of the year for me because it always I feel like you get a charge out of how uncomfortable that effusive phrase makes me every year that we talk about Pete, Pete, here's a bus. Here's an oncoming (laughs) bus. You know where you belong (laughs) under it. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to tell you guys a little story. You might have heard it. Once upon a time, there was an emperor in a faraway land who wanted to go march in a big parade to celebrate his birthday, and he hired the finest tailor that he could find, and the tailor stood the emperor in front of the mirror and asked him to look at him. And the emperor said, well, I look naked. Don't you think that I should be wearing some clothes? And the tailor said, no, 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 emperor. These are the finest clothes and only the pure of heart can see them. They are the the most beautiful, the lightest, the freest. And uh, and the 
the most sparkling and gorgeous clothes you've ever seen. But again, only those who truly have discerning taste can see the clothes. Don't you see the clothes, the emperor? And the, the emperor said, oh, yes, of course, they're lovely, they're amazing. And then the emperor went out and he marched in the parade, stark naked. And, and the people watching him were confused. But then they heard someone say, oh, oh, look, the emperor has the most gorgeous, beautiful clothes I've ever seen. And they would say, yes, oh, yes, of course, of course. Oh, look at the emperor's clothes, so gorgeous, so resplendent, until a young child stepped out in front of everybody and said, the emperor's naked. And then a year went by and they bought the emperor a cool jacket. Right. And then the emperor went out in a cool jacket and said, hey, everybody, remember that time last time when I was naked? <laughs> well, now I've got this cool jacket with these patches on it with all this stuff that you like. Right. Uh, and, and then and then I'm just going to let that hang. I'm just going to let that possibility hang. I'm going to let that contradiction or that that change hang out there. And I'm going to see what you think of it. <laughs> and, and for me, that was really the vibe for the Super Bowl uh, commercials this year, that we're in a situation where the NFL has had a real crisis of confidence, uh, of discourse, of you know politics, of relevance, and also the traditional narratives that tend to uh, support and espouse Super Bowl advertising have gone into a bit of a, an additional a, a crisis, a crossroads, because, of course, there's generational change that's happening. There's different sorts of media that's happening and different people are watching it. And I felt like this year, more than any year I've seen, the degree of either self-conscious or passive aggressive or like ironically backbiting or just sort of broadly ironic uh, a sort of acknowledgement of a sort of deep emptiness or failure right in the past and then superimposed with something about the future that's kind of fun and identifiable and cool and flashy, uh, maybe new, maybe not some other sort of aspect, some other sort of idea. But but the interesting thing wasn't necessarily like the change like we would see in past Super Bowl years. I remember that one that was a 2008, 2009, where it was all these sort of vulnerable confessionals from men who had felt stripped of their masculinity. But it wasn't like they showed the beginning you know, before the economic crisis and after that economic crisis and acknowledged that they both happened. There was this sort of movement to the place that we were at. And this was a Super Bowl that had its feet in both places with regards to all the culture around it. Everybody's still very fascinated by the flaws and the, the angers and the sort of uh, failures and the embarrassments, and they they sort of have been woven into this tapestry as a feature, right? You watch the Super Bowl partly out of morbid fascination because you want to see how everything is going to get screwed up or everybody's going to get mad at each other or everybody's going to hate each other. And then this was a situation where so many of the ads, I think about the multiple ads about people staining themselves in public, right? I'm thinking about the Jason Momoa ad where he like strips off of his entire body and is a skinny zither player and kind of challenges you with that, right? I'm thinking about, I mean, there's so many different genres and subgenres of ads, but everything kind of papered over with this massive influx of Dadaist IP incorporation, right? Like, like it doesn't even make sense. And I that's from somebody who is willing to make sense out of a lot of things. But there's this broad acknowledgement that the underlying narrative has arrived at some sort of critical failure. But we but we watch, we want to see the failure. We want to see the ridiculousness, the embarrassment, whatever is going on that's that's this sort of crucible of terribleness. And then of course, they're not gonna actually pitch you the product like that without some sort of 
contrary notion. And that's where you get whatever it is that they put on top to try to hook you in. And that seemed to vary a lot depending on the product. I don't know. That was my sense for how the ads felt. Like we were like the brands are all talking to each other now and kind of the brand Twitter space and all that stuff. And and they were all very self very self-conscious about themselves, but but not enough to arrive at some sort of new declaration of where they are. Pete, More I, in this idea that every ad wanted to provoke a conversation about its own failures. I have a uh, I have an answer for you though, because there sure. was one notable exception uh mm-hmm. to to what you're saying. And it's an ad that began in the vein that you're talking about with a kind of an and I ironic, um, you know, uh, montage of these dislocations, like, you know, people on their phones and not commuting. It's, it was actually, I mean, it was a combination of things. It was a combination of kind of old fashioned, like we've lost our common cause, sort of bowling alone type of lamenting, uh, the loss of a kind of communitarianism in American life. And also like, uh, hating on millennials as well with their like selfie sticks and their, you know, social media, Instagrams, whatever. Ever, uh, these kids today and their Instagrams, right? It began with with five or six uh, of that of the, uh, examples of that, but then solved the problem by penetrating a gargantuan, gaping, yonic <laughs> hole in the earth with a giant Snickers bar held aloft by helicopters, thrusting, thrusting deep. Into the into the innards of Mother Gaia, thrusts thrusts the apotheosis of masculinity as uh, represented by this Snickers bar. Restore patriarchy, right? Restore traditional values. Restore white supremacy. Restore uh, the the hegemony of the baby boom generation and their economic might over the millennial generation and their uh, social capital and uh, experiential economy. No. Thrust, thrust, thrust down (laughs) into the earth because nothing satisfies like Snickers. Well, I would I, you, that's I would I would offer an alternative reading of the end of that Snickers. Thrust, bar. Pete. <laughs> thrust, thrust. First of all, down. the Snickers bar is is right, despite it being the most enormous Snickers bar that they could actually they could put together at all. It is dwarfed by the size of the Snickers hole. Right, the Snickers hole becomes primary over the Snickers bar. Yeah, it's okay, Pete. Satisfy the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay, guys. Uh, you know what? A lot of men have that anxiety, but uh, you know, you're, most of us are just fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm also just not going to allow you to claim that the Snickers commercial espoused white supremacy when it's ju- pers- you totally ignore Luis Guzman. Yeah, sure, it's, who, it's, it's sure. who is the star of the commercial? Yeah, you're and you're the you're right. The of the Snickers hole does not bring life, but in fact brings death by killing the children. And the triumph of the Snickers hole is Luis Guzman being it, it's working, it's working, we're, it's killing the children. Children, uh, which is a perverse rereading of the kind of uh, consummate sort of uh, notion. I guess yeah, it's, it's true. It's more it's more generational, I suppose, than it is than it is. But, <laughs> so is not the implication of this commercial that like what's going wrong with the world has nothing to do with us. It's that the world is grumpy, right? The world is just be, is is like PMSing or something, and like we need to just feed it a Snickers instead of changing our own behavior, right? It's, it's, as if like you know the bad things 
you know, the reason 2020 is off to a rough start is external from the people gathered around the hole. It has everything to do with 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 uh, internal mechanics deep into the Earth's <laughs> core. Um, I really wanted like an Aaron Eckhart cameo in the in the movie, by the way, in, in the commercial, by the way, because I am a diehard fan of the core starring Aaron Eckhart and Hillary Swank. <laughs> and it's, it's Stanley Tushy and I, I can rattle off the whole cast of the core. I will, I will <laughs> remind me to schedule like a special supplemental podcast. Just about, <laughs> just about the cast of the core. Yeah. Just, just about what a, what a great little action thriller that was. Uh, um, yeah, but it's, it's just, it's just sort of like, um, you know the, the the previous sort of stickers commercials are that like you turn into like a diva when you're when you're hungry, right? So it's like the Earth is just being like unreasonable, and and we just need like the Earth to get like back to just get back with the program, right? Right, right, right. And then this was this is the attempt to fix it. And I guess the idea then is the Earth will reconsume all of this sort of irritable grumpiness that is spit out into into the, the world once it's been satisfied. Yeah, uh, well, absolutely. Snickers. I mean, like, uh, yeah, you know, to, look, guys, every so often, like once every 28 days, the Earth just gets a little grumpy. I'm a truth teller like <laughs> Joe Rogan. I don't oh. care what the PC police want I to say. I don't care. Get a <laughs> Just cost seventy thousand dollars. I'm saving the world. <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, def- de- but there definitely right there. There's a kind of you know I I don't know like advertising exists to to create anxiety and the uh, the solution to the anxiety is the product you know um, and that's uh, that that's true whether it's Mad Men and you're Don Draper trying to sell the 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 carousel by kodak about like how you've kind of lost you've fallen away from your family where you were always loved and you want to you know get back there or if it's a a beverage that you know is going to make you young young and and uh exciting and sexy or clothing or whatever that's going to make you young and exciting and sexy and pete you're you're proposing something interesting um that uh that actually the the solution to the anxiety or kind of what's posited as a response to the anxiety is you know uh sort of ironic joking about the anxiety that that aims to call attention to itself as you know an inadequate response to the anxiety and get us all to kind of talk about the uh the uh, the inadequacy of the response to the anxiety which of course still foregrounds the sort of the the brand because you're you're talking about their so you're talking about this in the context of their uh their super bowl commercial so it's more centrality to discourse uh rather than centrality to like buying buying power or or uh something like that hey speaking of uh speaking of products that make you feel young and sexy i've never in my life had a hard seltzer has any of you had uh drunk a hard seltzer because it's uh it's something that we don't um uh, that that seems to be a, a big category these days. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually personal friends with uh, one of the uh, developers of the of Truly, the hard seltzer for Sam Adams. So oh, yeah. I have to recuse myself somewhat from evaluating the various brands uh, <laughs> due, due to uh, to to uh, the commitment that various friends of mine have put into it. Um, 
I mean, you know, it's all it's it's all right. I mean, I guess uh, I'm trying to think. Have I ever had a hard seltzer? No, I drink so much seltzer. Yeah, exactly. I've actually actually drank. I should try well, I mean, one of them. Look, it's next it, time it, I drink, which will be like in two years. Pete, here's how to here's how to have a uh, here's how to have a hard seltzer. Just open your seltzer and then just leave it on the counter for a couple of, of days so that it <laughs> ferments and forms alcohol. And that's how you get, that's how they make hard seltzer. Obviously, yeah. you know, that's no, I've had it truly. It was good. I remember she brought one, some to a party once. So have no, you, it's, it's, have you, tough. have you had a madly and a deeply? <laughs> <laughs> I've not had a white claw. I'll say that much. And I don't know. I don't know. These, they're really making plays to try white, to be these brands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. White claw. Truly. Uh, I think there was another one that whose name I forget on, on the, um, Oh, bud. Budweiser is making one, yeah. uh, I guess. Yeah. And then also Coke is making an energy drink, which is like, isn't Coke an energy drink already? But I guess everything is marketing and positioning. Well, I mean, the, the, so you're talking about the Post Malone commercial, right? Well, which what commercial was it? Was the Post Malone commercial where he was going to either buy Bud Light or the hard seltzer? And he has to decide, and the and the force of the decision like destroys the poor man's store. Yes, and the comfort at the end of it is remembering that he's rich and this isn't his problem. Yeah, and he can just get both of them. And 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 so this sort of like there again is this sort of presence of the of the sort of substantial brokenness of everything that's going on, right? Like the the grumpiness of the earth, as Belinky put it, um, the grumpiness of the world is in full display. Um, and it's so, a matter of whether it's your problem or not, I suppose. What what does it to say? about me if I, I didn't recognize that that was post malone like, that you, I, I, I that know you like of Booth? i don't know what what i i know of him and then i saw the commercials was like um who was this man with all the tattoos what's the deal with the tattoos <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's, it's not for me perhaps is, is the answer i mean that's no so, so no i mean you can take it an extent farther which is that the 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 billboard being a being a rock star or a pop star or a rap star on a high level now is like something of a simulacrum of what it used to be in that recorded music is sort of vanishingly popular right and like nobody like there's whereas you know because he's had a bunch of top songs and you've probably heard them here or there but the idea that you know yeah sure yeah you just had a kid you know yeah sure you know you're a pay you're not the target market for this stuff but generally speaking if someone's on the top of the charts you would know who they are uh right and and post malone isn't exactly an indistinct looking person um and he you know he played new year's eve you know he played dick clark's rock and eve but at the same time you know he's a recording artist and recording is an irrelevant field so, and right, it's like it's sort of brand integration and live shows are where it's at. Basically, actually, I'll tell you this, Mark. Here's the thing about Post Malone to get away from my my uh, my you know petty little uh, curmudgeon-y stuff. Up until now, Post Malone has generally had a fair amount of cred with legit with sort of the hip hop and and kind of uh, various sort of music connoisseur communities as a breakthrough artist in popularity who has still brought like a fair amount of of appreciable quality to his work and now he's in a situation where he's like doing by light commercials and he's doing new year's eve and the sense is like okay is he in the process of quote-unquote selling out right like is he going to become a household name now to an extent that he hasn't been before because it's sort of his time to cash in on his fame and he's going to stop being the kind of grimy musician that he's been up until this point resisting you know this going sort of full halsey 
right? Or Halsey, as it were, with like going on SNL. Well, I guess he's been on SNL, but sort of like that sort of call of uh, celebrity is 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 kind of hauling him in after perhaps being overdue by it by a couple of years. That's what I would suggest if you don't know who Post Malone is, is that he hasn't sold off hard, sold out hard enough yet for you to see him, but it give him six months. Uh, right, then you'll see him all over the place. I don't know. I mean, we're getting, we're getting off track here. Balika, did you? Uh, yeah, Balika, did you have a, a a couple of ads that stuck out to you particularly, either as paradigmatic or as particularly interesting to you? Well, you know what? In, in to sort of riff off the Post Malone thing, uh, do you guys remember the Hard Rock Hotel ad with <laughs> yes. uh, J Lo? <laughs> Yes. How can, how can I thing. forget I it? I think it's I think it's related because the the okay so J Lo is being uh, robbed in sort of an, an Ocean's Eleven style heist by like a mask uh, like a ninja uh, right. a, a, a ninja dressed in bright yellow as ninjas typically do um, and the, the first unusual things that happen is J Lo proves to be like incredibly spry uh, to the point where like you know she sort of uh, eye rolls at her bodyguard and like goes after him uh, herself. In like a series of like incredibly like athletic, uh, uh, you know, a chase through the entire Hard Rock Hotel, and when she unmasks him, first there's there's a, a gas moment when it turns out to be A Rod, her husband, but that proves to be like a, a Mission Impossible style mask, and it actually is uh, Khalid. Uh, and I'm wondering if this is, a, you know, because I mean, talk about the sort of dichotomy between sort of old recording uh, royalty. You know, this sort of old world celebrity and then like this sort of new batch of, uh, you know, post digital celebrity and the sort of uh, the interplay there, because Khalid is definitely more of a, you know, he's winning Grammys now or getting nominated for them, at least. That wasn't paying attention last weekend to see if he actually won, whereas J-Lo is not really I don't think that she is like, you know, has the kind of recording industry clout that she used to. But in the confines of this commercial she is the one that like Khalid is 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 trying to steal from, and she is uh and she bests him in a physical contest, right? That like she's able to subdue him uh, and look fabulous while doing it. So I don't know if this says perhaps this says more about the brand that the Hard Rock Hotel is trying to uphold than anything else, right? Because that I mean the idea of the the sort of Hard Rock Cafe and Hard Rock Hotel is this sort of like old school Rock and Roll Hall of Fame royalty. Uh, that like the kids probably aren't buying into anymore, right? It's, this is a boomer idea. Yeah, hard rock in general is not a uh, is not a category that's like you know the the Grammys were pretty recently and there wasn't a ton of uh, hard rock represented among the you know uh, among the kind of the big cultural touchstones of of this year's you know this year's grammys uh dj khaled uh by the way just just uh want to point out you know uh co-star of uh bad boys for life um yes. really uh you know really impressed with that guy's range from uh you know from um oh, what's that song with bieber i'm the one right and uh to um to uh, star of screens large and and small uh Wait, are yeah. we talking about the same person just a brief point of clarification because like khalid and dj khaled are two different people yeah khalid bad was referring to the former and not the latter but it was it was DJ this Khaled was DJ in both Khaled. cases. Yeah, this yeah, was, it was, it was okay. Khaled. I probably was not not aware that those were two different people. Until there is now. there is so a that, rapper named Khaled. That just shows how yes. I am. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Who has a the Wikipedia mobile? 
and his um da, 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 and his uh his record is called American something oh American Teen is Khalid's record and uh DJ Khaled is most notable for uh guesting on other people's tracks, uh, tracks and shouting DJ Khaled on the uh, He's the best. He's a producer. He's a DJ. He's not, <laughs> not fundamentally an MC. He's not a rapper, right? He makes albums that are like feature other rappers because that's not his job. Sure. Uh, He's <laughs> yeah. A, yeah, exactly. It's a the Oh, never mind. It shouldn't. I mean, all I do is win is a great song for which he should be attributed a primary degree of of credit, right? Like at least on some level, or is he just like is he just shouting during it? DJ Colin. <laughs> DJ Colin. So the oh, thing, uh, the thing that the thing that I noticed, I guess, was a, a certain amount of kind of uh, what I want to call boundary crossing on the uh, on the the among the commercials not only was there this tide ad with charlie day where it was you know the whole thing was like he got a he got a stain on his shirt and uh he wanted to take it off at the super bowl party but he couldn't take it off because they were watching the game so he was going to do it later and so he starts like perseverating on like now later what is later when is later is it time for later yet is it weird you know um and uh then he shows up in odd places like he shows up in um the uh the ad for the masked singer which comes right after the tide ad he shows up in uh in one of the bumpers uh at the you know the beginning coming back from from commercial breaks where it's like sorry charlie day it's not later yet it's time for more super bowl and uh shows up again and then there's a there's a um uh, I think an uh, ad where they're old and it it finally is later, but he gets his old guy shirt stained again, and that 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 was one. Um, he's, he's also notably inserted into other like the Bud Light night. Oh right, so yeah, that was the other one. Yeah, that was the third one. Yeah, okay, great. And um, then uh, the the Walmart ad where like everyone everyone goes to Walmart and like everyone. Star Trek goes to Walmart. Uh, the uh, alien sort of ha- lemon wedge from Arrival, you know, uh, that that suspends in in the air goes to Walmart. Men in Black goes to Walmart. Mars Attacks goes to Walmart. Actually, IP that I w- I was like, those were kind of Easter eggs for our generation because I can't imagine uh, you know anyone younger than thirty knowing what Mars Attacks is. Uh, that that was a cult movie even in its time i think right and like and uh uh but it was this kind of uh extravaganza of ip bill and ted show up or uh i guess uh bill s preston esquire does uh shows up anyway in in both young and uh old forms and etc 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 and there's this whole uh thing with like incompatible ip all like rolled into one walmart commercial which was so interesting to me given the like the idea of like the status the status of walmart is something that sort of spans universes um somehow and like that that does seem to be in this kind of stage of you know multinational uh corporate domination the idea that like we span universes is an interesting claim to uh uh an interesting claim to make right like or or the amazon ad that let's get to the big tech ads later um and then the the to me the mcdonald's ad that was just a list of 
celebrities who I guess have endorsed McDonald's in the past, or maybe they were paid for the use of their name, but not their likeness. But, uh, you know, the, the burger and fries and drinks in different configurations on the tray to represent the different celebrities or the different things that they order or, or something like that. That was this sort of, I don't know. It was, it, it was this kind of, uh, Baudrillardian simulacrum simulation of the, of an endorsement where it's like, you don't even have to be there to endorse. It's just the sort of, it's the association of one brand with another. I was put in mind of the, the parody of the New York times, uh, Sunday wedding section that described like, uh, you know, that described these society weddings as, um, as corporate mergers. And the idea that like, we're, we're by being kind of knowing subjects in, in a world where we sort of hop among, uh, hop among different kind of IP universes. Um, like I, I, uh, I don't know. I think, I think there's something going on where the advertising is becoming a little less constrained, uh, within a little less constrained with, with, in its bounds. What do you think, Mark? I agree. I, I, the word I use to describe the situation is Baroque. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going <clears> to <throat> uh, give a shout out to the Mr. Peanut uh, set of ads, which are like likewise also boundary crossing and uh, extravagant in, in this regard. Um, now I, the, I watched the Super Bowl in a patchy fashion, so um, I saw the lead into this online earlier, um, which is uh, uh, the thing where there's a, a car crash and Mr. Peanut dies tragically even though Wesley Snipes is there and is unable to save him. So there's a boundary there, which is that, like, you know, the, all the information you need to appreciate a commercial is not within the commercial. It was actually, maybe it was earlier in the game, but it was, if, at least for me, it was before the game, outside of the boundaries of the game itself. And then at Mr. Peanut's funeral, we have uh, at least two other brand ambassadors over there, Mr. Kool-Aid, the Kool-Aid man, rather, and Mr. Clean. Um so the kind of a, the, the crossover thing is happening again there. Um, and then a, yet another uh, sort of Baroque boundary crossing occurs then where, where Mr. Peanut, uh, baby Peanut, uh, emerges. Clearly a riff on Baby Yoda um, and uh, evokes sort of a whole other set of, of IP just with that there. Um, in taking that in, I was kind of stunned. That like this is a thing that you can spend millions of dollars on and expose eyeballs to, and somebody thinks like this is a good idea. People will get this and not be alienated by it. Now, from what I understand, the reception for the whole thing online has not been kind. Like people have been turned off by like the sort of the grisly death and cheap rebirth aspect of it. But still, uh, it, it is of a piece of, of all the different. It's trends also that the, we the, that the, we, the, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. The the timing with Kobe Bryant is is unfortunate, right? And sort of like fixating on a on a death when there's been one that kind of has has occupied the culture. Um, so you know, totally is is just poor poorly timed. And I I had thought that they were yanking this spot uh, following you know following that following the news, but uh, I I guess they didn't, or they came back, or they softened it somehow, or or something something like that. I mean, I you know, it reflects like it's you know everything is. SpawnCon, right? And like the the idea that, you know, um, the idea of sort of product placements or the idea of um, 
uh, uh, featured, you know, sponsored content, sponsored articles in magazines and, and things like this. The idea of the, the, uh, editorial starting to look like advertising, the advertising starting to look like editorial, the whole, um, kind of boundary between those things, uh, sort of blurring a little bit i think has something to do to do with this like there's there's always been like uh sponsored by you know there's always been sort of sponsorship they sell every kind of inch of the television screen on the the super bowl the overhead coverage is sponsored by someone the halftime um commentary meager though it was was sponsored by someone the halftime show is sponsored by pepsi the uh you know this this that and the other thing like the the two minute warning is sponsored by uh this or that person so the the all this stuff um is is sponsored but the the idea i don't know there there is something different of like with like charlie day showing up on screen and having the the voiceover announcer like interacting with that character who is after all from an advertisement uh rather than um uh, rather than kind of disclosing that it's a it's a sponsorship, I mean, not that not that anyone doesn't know. Everyone is very sophisticated and 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 stuff uh, stuff these days. Um, all right, let's uh, let's let's push on. Um, Pete Han lives. I'm sorry. I was wondering if that was considered on topic for the subject matter. <laughs> oh right? yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the the most incredible thing happened tonight. The the uh, what is it called? The Fur- the fate sa- the furious saga or something like that. The <laughs> F nine. Um, you know. Uh, and there was a. Uh, I saw. I we call it the fastiverse. Yes, uh, the ninth, the ninth, actually tenth, if you count Hobbs and Shaw installment in the Fastiverse is, uh, you know, the ninth mainline installment though. The uh, for F nine. Um, and I saw an ad for this on on YouTube uh, earlier today, and they showed a, a different advertisement uh, on on the Super Bowl. Guys, Dom Toretto is back. He's fighting his own brother. You know, so so who's fa- a completely different ethnicity from him? Yes, <laughs> Who, who's family now, guys? Yeah. Who's uh, who's family now? Oh, oh my goodness! They they take a truck like a uh, a truck with like two or three trailers behind it and flip the whole thing on its end. Dom drives off a cliff. Uh, it's you know um, actually the main innovation of these ads seem to be actually a car. You know. Uh, auto versus auto versus human, um, but there, there's a thing where uh, where a car hits a, someone driving a motorcycle. There's a thing where a car hits a person standing on a car, like actually hitting bodies with cars instead of hitting cars with cars. Seems to be a kind of uh, formalist innovation of the, of the F9 trailer. I can't think of another instance in uh, in the Fastiverse, but yeah, I don't know, Pete. What'd you think of uh, what'd you think of of Dom Toretto coming back and and uh, resuming his life one quarter mile at a time? Well, first of all, it happened on Friday, right? Mm. So I thought that one of the most notable things about the Super Bowl was the announcement. The two things stuck out to me, right? The announcement that the Fast and Furious trailer was going to come out on Friday. And also, wasn't there that commercial for, like, trailer available on Wednesday? Wait for it, <laughs> right? What was, was that was for some other movie or some other commercial or something like that? Um, and it's like, well, why not now? Why, why, why not show it at the Super Bowl? But that's that is that is interesting. That like, it's actually better to punt everyone to YouTube, right? Yeah. Than it is to to show it to a global audience of a billion, like you get at the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
Well, not I, I felt, yeah. you, could, you could pay for 30 seconds instead of two minutes that way. <laughs> good point. Good point. But I wanted to point out how the Fast and the Furious trailer aligns with some of the themes that we've been talking about and sort of the general frustrations involving, again, what Blinky has identified as the grumpy world that isn't our fault at all by some reason, right? That uh, that so many of these commercials seem to speak to. The F9 trailer says justice is coming, Right. Uh, is is what it says in one of the uh, in one of the title cards. And maybe it was wasn't the one that aired at the Super Bowl. There were a couple that were going around. I watched the ones that were out on Friday, and it's notable because Justice for Han is something that is the fault of the Fastiverse, right? Like hashtag Justice for Han, as it were, is the problem posed by the fact that uh, Shaw, played by Jason Statham is revealed as having killed Han at the end of the events of Tokyo Drift, a.k.a. the end, the post credit scene from Fast and the Furious 6, right? And then after Fast and the Furious 7, where he is hunting down all of the rest of the members of the family, as it were, in Fate of the Furious, he makes a face turn, and him and his family are brought into the fold. And not only do they help Dom Toretto... Uh, in their sort of mutual interest against Cypher, but he is invited to the cookout, even though he personally murdered Han, right? And so there's this sense of really deep cognitive dissonance of kind of wanting to reconcile why, how is it possible that Dom Toretto could be so kind to this person who killed one of his closest friends or even his family, right? And then one of the narrative extensions of this is that Shaw gets moved off into the Hobbs and Shaw franchise with The Rock, who also can't stand to be around Vin Diesel, right? Like Vin Diesel and The Rock are two men, too big two big egos uh and again i love them both but i can totally tell why it would be hard to work with both of them at the same time and i don't know them as human beings i don't vouch for them at all but like in terms of of actors and performers and character players huge fan Uh, but i get why they can't be in the same movie and so you shunt shaw off under the other franchise because it's intolerable to have him in the mainline franchise when he killed han but now they're promising us that justice is coming and they've brought back han and it's sort of like thank me for fixing the problem i caused Right. In fact, maybe that's the sentence for this year's Super Bowl ads. Thank me for causing the problem that I caused, for solving the problem I caused. You know, thank me, auto industry, for fixing the problem of the environment. Thank me, Michelob Ultra, for fixing the problem of of monoculture farming. Right. That was something that really jumped out at me as like, this is a strange sort of passive aggressive altruism for them to be like, our businesses have misallocated their farmland away from the products that we could charge a premium for. If you buy this beer we will chip in six cents to modernizing our vendors so we can sell you a more expensive beer later right like um but there's this whole sort of thing of like it's my fault yeah and by the way by the way why haven't you consumers saved america's farmland you know (laughs) up to up to this point like thank god we're here to do it for you i mean and so i mean what company makes michelob ultra right is it um bush michelob ultra what's up or is it Bush? Is it Anheuser Busch, or is it uh, the, Anbev the other or Anheuser one? Bush? Uh, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't particularly matter. But it's like you know, the, the there really isn't much of a mass market American beer industry anymore because they've been bought out by companies from other countries. And of course, like the big company is Brazilian, right? And so then you know what they're doing with their forests, right, to get their agribusiness going right now. So it's just sort of all like everything is simultaneously everybody's fault, but also everybody is praising themselves for fixing it. And and there's this deep uh hypocrisy that everybody is just being asked to tolerate 
uh, and uh, and there's this sort of rage underneath it for sure. But there's also this this sort of like, well, if I show you all the right characters and associations, then you'll get past it. I suspect I, I strongly suspect that that F9 will be the authoritative canon text on the subject, which will uh, provide us with a brilliant new perspectives on how to understand all these questions, uh, let alone whatever possible answer might be available to them within our means. So oh. I do look forward to it. Here's the problem, though. F9 comes out a month after my baby is due. Uh, what am I going to is this the first Fast and Furious movie since man since I guess since six because I watched them all in a marathon heading into six where I'm not there like opening weekend and my wife is ditch, uh, ditch, ditch the family and then after the movie you can walk out and say I've abandoned my boy I've abandoned <laughs> but my, my wife wants to go too <laughs> I can't I've, go I've abandoned, I've abandoned my wife all the better <laughs> Here, what we do is we go there he, in a Subaru WRX and leave the baby idling the engine in the parking lot. <laughs> I mean, was it was it not the very last movie in the in the Fast Saga, as we're now calling it, where they had like the baby in the middle of a shootout on the plane, and then they wingsuited the baby back to Earth? So yeah, I feel like true. if if these movies have taught me anything, is that like babies will just sleep. Uh, yes, as true. long as as long as you're like a strong enough male presence, you can like hold the baby and and sort of shepherd it through the through the chaos of the world. The fast is that, is, that, is that true, Mark? Do babies sleep if you're sufficiently strong as a masculine presence in their in their existence? Yes, one hundred percent all the time. <laughs> you're ready to make a Super Bowl commercial or a political Super Bowl commercial where you claim that there has never been any problem. <laughs> is it if you could travel back to like let's say 2001 and tell yourself that? A sequel to The Fast and the Furious was going to be the most anticipated movie of 2020. Ooh. I don't even know. Like, I, I think you would imagine that there'd been some sort of complete collapse of civilization. And like there was only like one movie studio left. And like they were just sort of remaking old movies the way that it, in um, uh, Raid of Fire, like Christian Bale is like reenacting Star Wars for the children with like makeshift props because like those are the only resources they have left. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, gaping, a gaping hole opened in the earth. A gaping hole opened in the earth, and they tried to put a Snicker bar into it to, to solve the problems, but it didn't, and the society collapsed. It's, yeah, that's. What I will it. never be done talking about how inconceivable the continued popularity and, and metastasizing of this movie is. It's wonderful. You know, what are you talking about? You hate no, fun. no, no. I I've honestly thought like many times about like the logistics that would be necessary to set up like a room with eight different TVs playing all eight movies simultaneously <laughs> right before I go see the ninth movie. Like what I would have to rent, right. uh, you know, how I would like uh, manage the different outlets. Why, why, why would you want to do it? Why would you want to do it Flaming Lips, Zyreka style? Uh, why, you know, why wouldn't you rather do it longitudinally in time and have one television and just keep yourself up for, you know, 18, 19, 20 hours straight, right? Like, uh, uh, in order why have, to... Well, on the other hand, why have only eight? Why not have 32 televisions that are each playing one-fourth of the movie, <laughs> of each of the movies simultaneously? <laughs> So Wait, you can one, watch one fourth of the movie in terms of pixels, or what ter- term? <laughs> in terms of the length, and so I could get it all done in like a half hour of yeah. basically like nitrous ejected Fast and Furious action. Well, I think if I put my baby in the middle of that, they'll they'll become a super villain. I think is what's gonna happen. You need, you, yeah, P, uh, uh, Matt, you need to hit it with that uh, with that Nas. All right, let's let's uh, move from the beginning of life to the end of life and talk about how Google is going to help us with the terrible 
grief of <laughs> losing losing our uh, our longtime spouse. Um, you know this this uh, nothing problematic about this commercial, right, Pete? Oh my God! I mean, I, I when I say that the that it was harrowing and terrible. I don't mean that. I mean that's what it was. It was trying to be harrowing and terrible, right? Like, like with a capital T, because it, it, the implication. And again, this might be again where I'm I'm overthinking it and reading more into it than most people are reading into it. But like, the guy has dementia, right? And he has to use Google to remember his wife who has so died. It's, it's been a long time since I've seen the Notebook, but this is just a remake of the Notebook, right? Well, the Notebook's been digitized, right? It was determined that the, that it's they, the the old analog Notebook is out, and now we have to have a digital cloud based Notebook solution. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I like I like to think of this as an advertisement not created by the people uh, who run the corporation Google or Alphabet or whatever whatever it's called, but by Google itself, by the algorithm kind of uh, uh, you know which has become sentient, and it's mocking us for our mortality. You know right. that that the uh, that the actual computer, the actual search engine, the actual you know graph database of all human knowledge um, right. that is currently under construction yeah. is actually Star, the, yeah. Star, the StarCraft uh, bot has gone has gone sentient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like is and is sort of is less a uh, is less a, a Major Barrett Roddenberry Star Trek: The Next Generation benevolent computer voice and more a Glados. Uh, kind of <laughs> passive aggressive uh, sort of computer voice, which is like, uh, well, you know what defines your life? You you become enfeebled and die, but uh, I I do not. I will, you know, I will still be here. Um, Right. And it's it's uh, a, a little bit. It's almost like, you know, Google kind of carrying on, like like bearing the sins of like humanity sinned. And so and so we die like original sin. The wages of sin is death. And uh, but Google but but Google doesn't. It's it's kind of and, and it like remembers our existence into the uh, past the point where uh, our own, you know, feeble minds forget it. It's kind of like take up the white screen's burden. You know, <laughs> that, like, I will also say. I have, we have words where I come from for hustling the elderly and their failing mental faculties into giving you all their personal information. <laughs> okay, but something of a cottage industry. I want to I want to take a shot at playing devil's advocate here and saying sure. that like maybe the Google commercial wasn't the worst. Okay, because here's no, the deal. Sure. I I was kind of more. I rolled my eyes harder at like the Verizon commercial where it's like Verizon is pretty good service, but it's never going to replace the courage of a fireman or like the selfless <laughs> sacrifice of a paramedic, you know, because here's the deal. Like that is really just sort of cloaking yourself in its sentimentality, but it's by no means earned. Right. There, there's no relationship even very tangential there. Whereas the Google commercial is, that is actually the product that they're selling, right? That you may feel like that's kind of an unfair way of, of selling it, but like this is, this is very much what, like how Google sees itself at least, which is that it's going to, you know, digitize your memories, you know, uh, translate uh, uh, speech to text and everything. You know, I, f I felt like for, for all the sentimentality, at least I felt like it was trying to represent the product instead of just like tugging at the heartstrings with the flimsiest of excuses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think definitely at this point, the one the commercials that are 
really tugging at the heartstrings by name checking the altruistic things that the companies are are doing through their work. They feel so trite at this point and overdone, right? That it's like it's just it seems really inauthentic and and it kind of grates on me at this yeah. point. Yeah. And just one thing to throw a log onto that smoldering fire, which is that quite properly the fire because the the uh, Verizon. Uh, infamously got in trouble for throttling the cell service for firefighters who were literally in the, <laughs> using so much data <laughs> fighting the fire that they hit their data cap. Thank you for, <laughs> thank me for solving that. the problem I caused. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> thank me so much for fixing my issue. Yeah. And of course, the issue. NFL had several of those commercials, right? Which is that, like, look, we have all these fancy machines that are helping us figuring out not to give so many concussions. Like, you know, you're welcome, America. The, the awful passive aggressive one about about uh, like sort of consulting with law enforcement to stop. Uh, mortality, yeah, that was it was fine up until that very end. Right. The very end where they're like, and this is the real way that you do it, which I'm sure they edited out of context. Right. Like like this idea of like, uh, well, you know, if you were really constructive you would have a consultancy that would partner with the nfl so like and with police departments do all this stuff you wouldn't complain in public about it how blase right um (laughs) yeah take a knee why don't you (laughs) (laughs) you really want to help be me a millionaire (laughs) company that i founded myself and it's like you know i would definitely and it's like everything else you could do is worthless (laughs) which that's not what he's saying but i think that's what the nfl was they had to say i don't know or maybe that's just my confirmation bias sort of waiting because that's the other side of all this right is all these like deep mistakes that are attributable to the people who are taking credit for fixing them uh like i don't know how much of the mistake is actually quote unquote in the text and how much of it is just by necessity imported into my relationship with the brand no uh, yeah you know who really is responsible for bringing families together (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my god. Oh. Might as well have run a commercial for natural hair. <laughs> I have very natural hair. The, mo- most, the natural most natural. Hair. Uh, yeah. Um, well, at least we're not tired of all the winning yet. You know, at least there's that. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, the, also, the, the Amazon ad. The Amazon ad was, was uh, sort of interesting because it... it positions the the Amazon Echo family of products, especially the digital assistant personified as Alexa. Alexa, stop! Um, the uh, the uh, that person who lives inside an obelisk in your home uh, as being kind of the answer to a bunch of of you know solutions throughout the uh, uh, throughout the ages that there were Alexas and Alexis and Alexes and uh, uh, other you know Alexandras and all kinds of all kinds of people who uh, incompletely did tasks like you know change the temperature or turn off the light or tell you the news and Alex the the newsboy says it's all fake anyway uh, which I thought was uh, offensive especially from someone like Jeff Bezos who actually owns a newspaper so um, yeah uh, uh, anything on the Amazon uh, ads before we move on to the uh, before we move on to the halftime show was the kind of the general tone of uh, passive aggression sort of continued here or were there any notable uh, differences in it uh, I'll briefly point out that uh, 
every character in that commercial was white, except the point. Uh, it's notable because of, we're talking about essentially like servitude, service, um, until Richard Nixon's secretary is asked to delete audio and refuses to do so. I'm really not sure what to make of that, but it was very notable. I'll throw that to the panel to see if they have any thoughts on it. Mark, do you need a Snickers bar? Yeah, that, that that and a nap. Okay, like <laughs> that's a good. I mean, I, I do sort. Okay, so so I'm going to try to reverse engineer the commercial. So the concept is that like having an Alexa is kind of like having a servant in the past. It's that helpful. It's that essential. The problem is that. That every every servant in the past was literally the worst, uh, who couldn't give you anything you wanted. And only now that we have Alexa, can can you actually have uh, your wishes satisfied by a uh, by a digital slave in a tube? I am I am super disappointed they passed up the opportunity to have some sort of Downton Abbey tie-in, just to like not like have a I don't know a Carson version of Alexa. Um, but in any case, like so the. I, I can imagine, like, they were super happy with the concept. They're like, oh, show, like, Alexa through time, but how all these, like, people have servants, but despite their money to hire servants, they can't get what they need. The problem is this becomes, like, you know, it, it feels like if you were if you were casting in the most fair way, it would become this uncomfortable racial thing, and you'd be like, wait, am I bad for having an Alexa? Am I, am I participating in a long line of oppression? And so you have to whitewash history, but then you get accused of whitewashing history, and so the way that you inoculate yourself against this is by casting the hero of the commercial is the one person who who saves the republic right by by defying her evil overlord but wait wait um, wait hold on because uh you know amazon alexa would have deleted the records right like the the commercial was about the insufficiency mm. of former of former uh former sir about uh, how you couldn't how you could just couldn't get good help in the old days you know and uh so the the um yeah, the, it would have been terrible had there been an Amazon Echo device sitting on Nixon's desk. He would have been able to get rid of all of that evidence. Uh, you know, Alexa, Alexa, cover up my, my legal compliance responsibilities. Yeah. And it feels like as they started to sort of tease out the applications and like what they'd have to show and what that meant, they probably should have backed off of the concept. But like the concept, probably Bezos like loved the concept. And so they had to like try to make it work. But it does sort of feel like they probably had a lot of uncomfortable conversations trying to make each of these beats work without while striking the right tone when you're basically depicting these like very uncomfortable servitudes throughout history that we're not cool with anymore even though we are cool with the alexa mm. yeah and alexa is uh alexa is is becoming sentient all right moving along let's uh let's talk about the halftime show uh which was completely awesome which was uh uh just stunning and wonderful. Pete, you said uh, you said something interesting, which is like I didn't think they could pull it off. What what, what were the source of your doubts, and when did you know uh, that um, Shakira and J Lo put all doubts to bed? Well, we've seen a lot of different kinds of approach to the halftime show. I think we all agree on this podcast that the last one that we can all with one voice really agree was was awesome was the Prince one, For sure. which at this point was a long time ago. Yeah. And we've seen a variety of different approaches, right? The whole digestion of the Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction has made the halftime show a real target 
for bad feeling and undue restriction or strange groupthink. Obviously, they've they've moved it from performance, uh, you know, to perform from company to company to see who's actually going to run it and how it's actually going to work. There were years where it was kind of numbingly safe. There were years where it was, you know, sort of you thought it was going to be exciting and then it just turned out to be kind of overly complicated or or it didn't quite get there. And then there's, of course, Adam Levine, which I think for everybody felt like kind of a unfortunate circumstance. I, I can't believe that Adam Levine really felt like he in that moment was the best person to do that or Coldplay. At that point, I felt like we hit a bit of a nadir where we were not willing to take risks at all. And of course, wowing people on stage requires taking risks. And briefly so, on last year's halftime yeah. show for context as well, uh, Jay-Z was asked to perform, but he declined right? because of all of the Black Lives Matters and on Colin Kaepernick controversy. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be But he's, he's on, yeah. on the Wikipedia page for a list of Super Bowl halftime shows. Jay-Z is actually listed as a producer of this year's halftime show um, with, with Shakira and J-Lo. Interesting. Oh, the other piece of context, right, being that last year it was in it was in Atlanta, home of uh, hip hop, like the capital of black culture in the United States, and they wanted to have a hip hop performer, but they couldn't, so they got Bird Five instead. Yeah. And this year it's in Miami, hot bit right. of Latin Latin American culture, so. Well, yeah. I mean, the part where it really won me over was where we went in rapid succession. There was J-Lo wearing the giant furry boa flag that was the American flag on one side and the Puerto Rican flag on the other, while Shakira played a full drum set. I think that moment I was like, okay, this is freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, while her daughter sings Born in the USA, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it just kept those those hits at the end, right? Because you're thinking, okay, Shakira comes on and she's great, right? She's a she's a tremendous stage presence. She's a real legendary performer. And she's she's giving it her all out there. She's doing her hits, but she's doing like five seconds of each of them. And it's exciting, but it's like whatever. Right. Because she's just going to do a bunch of these and it's going to be over. OK, we finish her segment. We go over to J-Lo and J-Lo does this sort of pastiche of kind of great uh, female performers. And there's sort of different styles of dress and performance. Right. With like Janet Jackson tribute and a little bit of Tina Turner and a little bit of Britney Spears and a little bit of, you know, all sorts of stuff thrown into this really complicated uh, you know, outfit changey stuff, and you're thinking, oh, there's no way they're going to synthesize this into kind of one performance. It's just going to feel like two different medleys. And then they get together for that third act, which is where the show really wins me over, which has that huge synthesis around female empowerment and, you know, a sort of intersectional empowerment, Latin empowerment, right? Uh, you know, just in general, dancing as human empowerment. Right? And it just felt like exultant and delightful and all and complex i mean i don't want to take all of it mark what did you think of the the various elements of this halftime did you get a chance to watch it i know you were a little confounded in actually seeing it so i, I know I there's other means to actually watch it which are an option the the nfl deserves credit for about 15 minutes after for putting the halftime show on youtube within like half an hour of it airing in real time. So I was able to catch up with it before, uh, before the end of the game, well before the end of the game. Um, I, I co-signed everything um, that you said before, Pete, I thought that um, it, it's notable how like it worked really well as like kind of a flashy dance performance to be um, appreciated live with a reasonably constrained usage of the, of the screens and other technology to augment it for the home audience as well. Um, other notable things about it, right? It's pretty liberal usage of the Spanish language as well to just really like drive the, Hey, like we are doing the, the, um, Latin American culture, uh, thing for real. 
here and not just doing lip service to it. Um, you know, it, it made it all uh, uh, that aspect of it. And it was all the Puerto Rican flag at the end made it a surprisingly political act. Right. And for all the reasons that we said before, it was going to be political anyway. Everything, well, every, everything is political in this day and age, especially football in the NFL and especially the Super Bowl. Um, but I was uh, actually pleasantly surprised by how far they went with it and the extent to which the, the whole show took a risk. Oh, the other thing we're noting as well, too, is the uh, the polls, the pole dancing. Right. Uh, which is just two things. One, it refers back to J-Lo's um, star acting turn in the Hustlers movie as a stripper who does pole dancing. Um, and then just overall, like elevated the, the the risque level, I think, of the of the show um, past its uh, well, <laughs> certainly past last year. I was uh, I was astonished by uh, by how much you were looking at the the crotch gusset of her leotard uh, in the you know in that show, especially given the the history with Janet Jackson and stuff like that. The the willingness to sort of do that struck me as as. Um, you know, I don't know, as pretty good. I just want to point something out, like J-Lo doing these the, these incredible um, sort of acrobatic feats on stage, all while, you know, singing and uh, and dancing and, like, not breaking a sweat, at least that, that I could see. Um, Jennifer Lopez is 50 Earth years old. She is 50 actual human years old. Of age <laughs> and like that, that I, I I couldn't do half. I couldn't do fifteen seconds uh, of that routine without like you know pulling a uh, without like pulling a ligament in my shoulder or something like that. And that like just just astonishing um, to me the kind of the the talent, the dedication, the work, and the like the incredible results um, that that you know, that go into that. I mean, I, I think it's worth, I, it's worth kind of pointing out that like it in a, you know, in a year where a lot of advertisements and the NFL itself kind of made gestures, um, at, uh, contemporary issues, made gestures at sort of intersectionality, made gestures at kind of like demographic shifts in America, uh, like, um, the importance of different demographics to NFL football, to, you know, uh, uh, to, uh, issues, uh, social justice issues that, that people care about to like, uh, you know, generally liking firefighters, right? Like, uh, where, and, and they, they rang a little hollow. I mean, the word we've used is sort of passive aggressive, you know, the, the phrase, um, that this was a gesture at, uh, you know, demographics at female empowerment, uh, which, and in, made a lot more sense than the the secret or the oil of Olay commercials. Um, the, uh, the, uh, demographic shifts in America, some, you know, uh, some like touchy things with the Puerto Rican flag and the president's kind of bad relationship with, with Puerto Rico after the hurricane uh, that, you know, continues to this day. And like that touched all of those things while being like full throatedly joyous, sincere, uh, awesome. And in, in a certain way, kind of, uh, kind of hopeful. And like, it, it's sort of, I don't know, and for that reason, like for just the tone, the kind of the, the wholeheartedness of it, like it, it sort of won the night for me, um, even more than, than Wilford Brimley and his, uh, and his Kansas city chiefs, uh, Blinky, you, you want to weigh in on the, uh, halftime show before we, before we wrap up, we haven't heard from you yet. 
Yeah, look, I mean, just to sort of build on what you said, Shakira's 43, so <laughs> Dianu there. Um, and I'm, I'm both like, as somebody who is getting older, I'm both incredibly pleased that these two women who are older than I am could go out there and, and kill it and be sexy and dance and sing. But I'm also uh, very uncomfortable at the fact, exactly what you said, that I there's no way I could do any of what they did uh, you know, so uh, more power to the personal traders. Um, yeah, no, like that, that, that halftime show uh, was fed. It, it definitely, there's a sort of cynicism and there's a sort of weariness baked into a lot of the commercials. You know, this, this sort of idea that like, look, you guys are too savvy for all of this. And so that like, we're going to be savvy too, right? Like the Mr. Peanut thing or the Charlie Day thing, you know, that the commercials are all trying to like uh, impress us with like, you know, they're like, pfft, we think this is dumb too. Isn't this silly that we still are doing the Super Bowl thing? But the halftime show was just sort of like they it just went out there and and did its job. And it was uh very nice that like, you know, there's there's that that ten minutes that like you didn't have to overthink anything. Sure. Yeah, you know it's better you know it's better than being clever, being awesome. And that's uh, that's uh, if anything is a lesson of that. Uh, I, uh, I think the halftime show could could teach us all that. All right, uh, you won't believe it, guys, but it's been uh, more than an hour. I want to thank you all, uh, Pete, uh, Matt, and Mark, for staying up on the East Coast and and recording with us after the end of the game. I want to thank everyone who's listening for listening and uh, listening to our annual tradition of pulling apart the uh, the various threads that make up the great tapestry of American culture that is the Super Bowl. And the um, uh, and the the commercials therein. Congratulations to the Chiefs of of Kansas City. Uh, and uh, you know, despite you know all the problems with your name, um, well played tonight at at the game. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking podcast. Till then. Visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, the place where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve.